Good morning, church. So good to see everyone here. We're glad that you are here. Uh, as, as Dave said, we're doing our, our second, our final uh, reverse church today, doing things a little bit backwards, uh, because what we're talking about is looking backwards so that we can move forward. So we kind of talked about last week how we do that as a church, how we need to look back as a people, as a church, and celebrate the things that we've learned, celebrate the leaders that we've had, and then, uh, and then look to the future and take from all those things in our past as we continue to move forward. So my, uh, my parents did mission work in Africa, in Zambia, um, between uh, 1987 and 1992. Uh, so we were over there, and I, I learned so much. It was a, a very rich, very cool experience for me. Um, and I could tell you all sorts of fun stories, uh, but one of the, the things that we used to enjoy doing is when we had a break, we would like to go, when we had a vacation, we would go to a game park. Now, this is where you can actually, you're let in a gate, and you drive in, and you actually see the animals in their natural habitat. So I want you to imagine with me that you are in like a van that has several rows, and I'm a kid, so I'm in the back. And we're driving along, and we come around a corner, and around this corner, there's probably 20 or 30 elephants. And in the middle of the road, right in front of us, we see this. Two bull elephants fighting each other in the middle of the road. You could faintly feel the ground shaking because of these two fighting and all the other elephants around just... Uh, anxious because of what was going on. And I remember looking ahead and seeing this, and I remember our driver slowing down and stopping, and then putting the car in reverse and going back around the corner. We kept our eyes on the danger that was ahead, but we had to go backwards before we could go around. Sometimes you need to look back before you can move forward. You need to take stock of your past life before taking steps into the future. And if you would open your Bibles or your Bible app today to Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be in Galatians and Ephesians today with Paul as our guide. You see, Paul had a unique perspective in the way that he became a follower of Jesus. The other disciples were kind of called into it, but he was called as well but he was anti-Jesus. He was actually completely against the whole thing before Jesus came and said, follow me. He had a unique perspective because he also encouraged remembering your former way of life. So let's see what he says about that, starting in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 24. Galatians 1, verses 13 through 24. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response 
was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. And then if you skip down to verse 22, it says, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. One of the things I love about Paul is that he is not ashamed to share his past. Sometimes we get caught up in maintaining a proper image. And we hide the mistakes of our past. We sweep them under the rug. We don't want people to know anything about the former Franklin. But here we see, surely Paul was, was ashamed of his past. In Ephesians 3.8, he says he is less than the least of all God's people. But by pointing to his past, his shame transforms into a deep appreciation of God's power to change us. Paul recounts that he used to be the scourge of the church. He would march right into the middle of church meetings and pull people out and take these Christians and take them to prison. Or worse, he persecuted godly people. He tried to destroy the church. He was a violent church. He was a violent person. Most churches wouldn't want to let him in their doors because they had heard about what he had done. Now, he found some churches that hadn't seen his violent oppression of the church. They had only heard this guy used to persecute the church, but now, instead of being a persecutor, he's a preacher. And here is where your storytelling is so important, because he concludes his first part of this story by saying, and they praised God because of me. They praised God because of me. Now, this is not an arrogant thing. This is not, this is not saying that they praised God because of I'm so good. They praised God because they knew what he used to be, and then they saw what he now was. Here's what he's trying to say. I used to be a curse to other people, but now I am a blessing. I used to be a curse to others, but now I am a blessing. So whenever I think of that, I think of, you know, how, how do I think of someone who used to be a curse and is now a blessing? And I immediately think of my little brother. Look at that blonde hair terror right there, okay? That kid used to follow me around all over the place, just annoying, just wanted to always be with me everywhere, just in my business, always, always just kind of picking at me, and we used to fight constantly, right? He used to be a curse to me, and now here he is schooling his nephews in pickleball over here. Here he is showing them how to geocache, and here we are at Vala's when they came, uh, they came to visit us. Now he is a blessing to me. How about us? Can we look back at our lives and say, you know, <laughs> I used to be a pest. I used to be a curse to others. Can we now say, God has helped me grow to the point where I am a blessing to other people? Are you allowing God to change you from being a curse 
to being a blessing. After Paul talks about himself, he starts to encourage the Galatians and the Ephesians to look back at their own lives. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So what is Paul trying to say here? Paul is trying to say, I used to be a zombie, and now I am awake. What is another word for zombie? The walking what? The walking dead. They're walking around, they're dead, and they don't know it. Sound familiar? Ever had a, a time in your life when you're stumbling around and, and you're not really paying attention? And then you kind of wake up and say, where did that last hour go? Where did that last week go? Where did that last year go? Because we're stumbling around and we're not paying attention. We're dead and we don't know it. Are we only thinking about our satisfying our every craving Zombies don't, don't walk around with their buddies and say, you know what, you haven't eaten in a while, go first. You don't have zombies that have a conscience that are like, I feel bad for, for our food, I'm going to be a vegetarian. They only think about filling their own needs, right? And they don't pay attention to what they're doing, they're just stumbling around, not paying attention to what they're doing. Do you ever go through a portion of life where you're just like that? A while back, I had, um, I had some stomach issues, and I wanted the doctors to check it out. And so they were going to do a procedure that's called an endoscopy. If you don't know what an endoscopy is, they take a camera, put it onto the end of a tube, and stick it down your throat so that they can look inside of you. How many of you have a bad gag reflex? All right, that's what I was terrified of. Now, they assured me that it wouldn't be... I said, now, you're going to knock me out, right? And they say, no. We're, we need you awake so that you can comply with what we're going to tell you. So we're going to use this stuff called twilight anesthesia, okay? Twilight anesthesia. Now, let me read to you a description of what this stuff does. Twilight anesthesia is, is an anesthetic technique where a mild dose of sedation is applied to induce anxiety relief, hypnosis, and interrograde amnesia. The inability to form new memories. The patient is not unconscious, but sedated. 
during surgery or other medical procedures, the patient is under what is known as a twilight state, where the patient is relaxed and sleepy, able to follow simple directions by the doctor, and is responsive. Absolutely terrifying stuff, okay? Now, let me explain to you my recollection of this terrible drug. I remember being in the operating room, and I remember saying, I t- I'm so sorry, I can't even go to the dentist and them without gagging. I am so sorry. And they're like, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. Don't even worry about it. And they're prepping, and they're going around, and they're reassuring me, cut. Next thing is I'm sitting in a bed, and my wife is talking to me. Now, here's the creepy part. I read the, the notes that they took on the procedure. The notes said, he was a great patient, very compliant, did everything we asked him to. The procedure went smooth, was great. They could have been lying for all I know. I have no, zero recollection of that. There's a block of time that's completely cut out that I don't remember. Are you asleep, stumbling through your life? Are you asleep in your marriage? Wake up. Are you just stumbling through your relationships, not really paying attention to other people? It's time to wake up. God wants something better for our relationships, for the way that we interact with people. He doesn't want us to stumble around like the walking dead. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul doesn't want you to walk around like the walking dead. He wants you to bury that old zombie. He wants you to understand that walking around in sin is you walking around dead. And he wants you to go ahead and bury that old person and rise up to a new life. I found this website where you can build your own tombstone. And so you can put the date on there. What would it be like if we made a tombstone of the day we were baptized into Jesus Christ and we looked at it to remember what the old person was like? What if we took stock and looked back at that and said, you know, I was dead and now I'm alive. Can we say that we are truly dead and now that we we are alive, we have been brought back to a new life. And that's why when we're baptized, it's kind of like going into a grave because we're putting that old person to death and rising up to a new life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 and 19. Paul continues talking about remembering your former way of life. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verses, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, 
which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me continue actually in here. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you, who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's house. So watch what Paul does here. He uses a popular Hebrew way of writing. It's kind of like book ending. So he'll give you one problem, But then he'll give you some other problems, but he'll wait to solve the first problem till the end. It's kind of like a bookend, okay? So in this passage, he has several things. He says, I want you to look back, and I want you to remember a few things. First of all, I want you to remember you were a foreigner. You were not part of the Israelite family. You you were born outside of our country. You were a foreigner. But he doesn't solve the problem immediately. He says, you were a foreigner, you were also without hope. You had no hope because you weren't part of the promise. God originally made the promise to the Israelites, you weren't part of that promise. You were without hope. He also says, you were far away. You were far away from God because you weren't part of his people, you were without hope. Now, I couldn't make this presentation go the other way, but what I wanted it to do was to go back over here to the third point, because that's where he answers the next question. He says, you were far away, but now you've been brought near. You were without hope, now you have peace, because God brought it, Jesus brought it to you. You were a foreigner, and he wraps up by saying, consequently, you are no longer foreigners, but you are family. You're part of the family of God. Have you ever felt like you were just out of place? You ever felt like you didn't belong? For some of you, it might be something like going to school. There might be some places where you're at school and you feel like, I just, I don't fit in with anybody here. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe you're like, I am not like, I don't have anything in common with any of these people. Isn't it a great feeling to feel that you have a family? That's what church is supposed to be for us. That's what God's family is. Is we're supposed to to be able to come and, and be together because of what Jesus did for us. And we can be completely different in our likes and in our the ways that we do things but we're together because we love Jesus and what he's done for us. We don't have to feel like a foreigner anymore. We can feel like part of a family. And lastly, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, Paul says this, 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what are we talking about here? Um, For our anniversary recently, we went to a Brazilian steakhouse here in town. Now, for those of you who don't know what a Brazilian steakhouse experience is, um, you have all these different sorts of meat that are brought by. Now, they have a salad bar and they have some sides that you can have, but the star of the show is all these meats that have, that have been cooked in the Brazilian way over a spit on these they, skewers, but they're swords, okay? They're big old swords is what they are. And these guys come by your table and you flip over your little card to say, I am ready to receive the meat. And, and they bring it by and they'll bring by different kinds of, of cuts of meat. They'll bring by some chicken, little drumsticks. And you say, sure. And they'll, you know, it's Parmesan encrusted and they'll slide one off for you. And then somebody else will come by and he'll have some pork. You say, sure. And they'll, they'll, they'll give you one of those. A filet mignon. Some, and then another guy will come along with a filet mignon wrapped in bacon. Yes. Give me all the things, Okay. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cut over here, the kind of round-looking one called picanha, and that one is, is a popular one that they, that they do in Brazil, and they'll cut off a little piece of it, and you use your little tongs and, and put it off and put it on your plate. One thing you pick up on pretty quickly, though, when you're eating at this place is you can't fill up on all the sides too quickly. Otherwise, you're going to be too full when the good stuff comes along. That's what Paul says. He says, I want you to be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. See, we think sometimes that we, we, haven't, we have a lot going on and my, my life is full. That's not the kind of fullness God is calling us to. That's busyness. God is calling us to fullness, to a joy that maybe we don't experience because of all these things we fill it with. God has other things for us to fill our life with that a lot of times we ignore. A lot of times we fill up with the filler material instead of with the good stuff that God wants to give us. And so the last thing that he says is sometimes we're empty, but he wants us to be full. Can you look back at your life and say, there were some times of emptiness but I want to be full. I want to be full of God. So maybe you're out there today. Maybe you're out there this morning. Maybe there's some things that you're thinking about as you look back at your past. 
Do you see that maybe you used to be a curse to others? Maybe you still are. Maybe you're kind of stumbling around life and you want to wake up. Maybe you feel like an outsider and you want a family. Or maybe there are times in your life where you feel empty and you don't know how to get full. Our shepherds and their wives will be at the doors and they'll be ready to pray with you if you want someone to pray with. Or if you want to come down front and confess publicly and have us pray for you publicly, we would love to do that as well. But if there's anything that you are thinking about right now as you look at your past that you want to discuss with someone, please come as we stand and as we sing together.